Hello, and welcome to my podcast. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I host unscripted conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I utilize my trademarked framework, Concept Aware, to investigate how each artist sees and how their creative practice is layered. By identifying these layers, we learn the choices and decisions that move the artist's abstract idea into a tangible object. Thank you for joining our exploration. You can find an archive of over 70 episodes on my website, jsibillasmith.com. There you will also find specifics on how we can work together and examples of my experiences as an independent curator, educator, and consultant. Please connect on the other social media platforms where you will find me under J. Sibylla. I use all these methods to engage in a global visual culture conversation. Today, I host Kai Quirk as we discuss the inspiration and far-reaching impact of their genderqueer allegory, Transcendence. It was exciting to learn of Kai's deep exploration and supreme attention to the synergy between the making of imagery and the writing of a creation story. They offer a gracious invitation to a world with a spirit of wholeness one that honors the transformation of all beings, embraces becoming, and assures belonging. I'm so glad you are here. Let's begin. The historical meaning of allegory, when we translate the Greek word for allegory, is the root other speak. One of my definitions of photography is that it is a consequential tool. It's a form of communication. We have all become more seeped in. We are sophisticated in creating it, decoding it, and consuming it. One of the things I find most fascinating about my work is uncovering all the intersections at play, both when we create and when we encounter an image. How we see is always changing because we are changing individually and collectively. It's a constant dynamic force of communication. What I find compelling is when we see or the task of seeing is actually learning and unlearning at the same time. We all have the same toolkit. We use observation and curiosity. We bring attention and it leads to awareness. This process is always available. We can engage in it or we can resist it. Inherent in creativity is courage. There's courage in seeing and it takes bravery to be seen. Choice is always available and consequently limitless. It doesn't have an expiration date whenever you're in the process of seeing or being seen. Consequently, possibilities are unbound, and living into them calls for courage too. 
photography is such a busy intersection of our personal life, our relational life, our social life, and our political life. I stand at the place where I investigate how these intersections correlate and how to use, utilize awareness to strengthen these interconnected entities that spring from a photo. They constitute my definition of punctum. I'm optimistic that our consequential tool can be unfurled and can cause change as it does so. I'm excited to begin today's exploration on the concept development behind Kai Quirk's Restoriation, their book titled Transcendence. It's, it is a modern allegory of non-binary-ness. Woven through the constructs of binaries, we are schooled in. We rely on these constructs for meaning and order, for it is challenging to hold open the limitless and unbound possibilities. In transcendence, there is night and day, moon and sun, earth and water, destruction and salvation. There is bearing witness to the unbound, to challenge the constructs. While humans made these, they do the work of speaking of others, of othering, of othering what falls outside a definition or aside a binary. My role is to enter the work, the story of an artist, to learn and unlearn, to be in conversation with the work, the things that intersects within my experience and those that exist that it sparks in our collective experience. I think entering work with an artist is a sacred space. Creative space is a union of that person's experiences, understanding, hopes, dreams, fears, and their courageous sharing of those. They put it forth for us to relate to or not. I enter with curiosity and attention as I want to gain awareness. I'm open to learning and unlearning in equal measure. Kai, I have a feeling you're going to help me do both. I'm grateful for our chance meeting at our recent Society of Photographic Educator Conference, and I am excited to enter your modern allegory together. A tale of deconstruction and reconstruction, a story of energy and its infinite forms of transforma transformation. Welcome, Kai. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here and just hear the ways that our intersections of ideas bring forth new ones. Yeah. Well, I want to begin by understanding your story. This is a restoration, but help me know how you came to it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. In school, uh, and so I studied at Indiana University, and in school, there was a point at which we were invited to uh, embark on a self-portrait at the very beginning of one of the classes. And this was my first time doing self-portraiture, and I felt deep within me, what is the story that that I can tell from within me that is no one else's story to tell at this time? And 
that project was its own project. It didn't directly translate into this body of work. But later, as I began to continue to work with self-portraiture, I was finding the ways that I was particularly drawn to the things that I had not yet seen and the things that I had not yet experienced, and yet which felt connected to these ancient threads along the way. In the word restoration, there's there's three parts. There's the beginning re, and that connects it to these ancient threads that are still there um, and and yet may have been lost or misplaced. And so finding those connections um, in the creation of new stories and this and the ending Asian with it being something active, um, this act of healing and creation and growth and renewal. Wow. So that's a lot <laughs> to have have actually both unpacked and articulated. So was that um, organic in a way that once you wanted or took the road being drawn to what you had not yet seen, did restoration come as a framework? To you, and that led the exploration, or did the exploration give you the frame? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. The I think that the exploration ended up leading to the framework. There was a study abroad at some point led by my teacher uh, James Osamu Nakagawa um, in Japan, and it was there that I found for the first time a spirituality or religion that had trans deities and um, figures that were looked up to in that kind of a way. Though in growing up in Quakerism, I, I knew that spirit loved me, even if the people around me didn't understand me. It was in this trip to Japan that I found these deep connections between gender and spirituality for the first time. And I began to see that in various places around the world, um, in, 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 not necessarily directly always, but through, through learning about various places around the world and how prevalent gender diversity once was and still is in many ways, but also ways that it has been erased. And so, um, this, this led to, beginning to create new stories in the places where some had been erased and recognizing that it wasn't my place to be telling stories from cultures not my own and recognizing how many such stories of gender diversity connected with spirituality and mythology um, have likely been erased in my own uh, ancestry just given the prevalence of it around the world and so that's that's some of where that restoration comes in recognizing how much has likely been erased of these kinds of stories and how much we can then uh, interweave with those threads to be creating new ones as well so that that's kind of the where these uh the the seed of this project began. And then I think in the in the book, there are 38 images, 11 of which remain from my BFA showcase in 2019, and then the rest of which are new since then. Mm-hmm. 
It's really interesting. You're recalling my conversation at the very, very beginning when I started the photo book book group. It was was with Mikhail Awuna on limitless Africans. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a Nigerian queer man, he was told that those two definitions couldn't fit in the same body. And he said, well, they do. <laughs> and then went on a, a, a geographic search uh, and, and found in his own culture such erasure um, of this deep, deep connection between um, spirituality and trans deities and brought that all forth. That was his exploration, um, a, similar, a similar seed. So what's interesting is um, there's so much of the story that's also in text, the allegory, which I really appreciated the writing and the care and the fluidity of that. So how did you choose to base some of your BFA self-portraiture into this restoring and make it text and more image. What happened there? As I was working to create titles for each image, it became clear that I wanted them to be deeply interwoven with this idea of storytelling. And this was even before I knew that it would turn into a book, but thinking about it being very holistically about storytelling. So I wanted each title to be as if it was a a word or a phrase taken from the middle of a story. And yet I was still struggling to name some of some of these images. And my other teacher at the time, Elizabeth Claffey, suggested, well, why don't you just write some stories about some of the images and then you'll have an actual myth to pull a title from. Um, So it's not just as if it's from the middle of a myth or a story, but it is from a myth or a story. Mm-hmm. I came back a couple of weeks later and shared some of them with her. And she said, it's clear that this was perhaps not just an exercise, but something deeper embedded within the project. So that was the beginning of, of that that then continued to expand um, and was a part of continuing to learn from the work itself and to be finding new pieces that months or years later I would learn new things about myself, about the world, about gender, all kinds of things from this continual return to the various aspects of the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually points to two things that I teach all the time in Concept Aware, which is the idea of being in conversation with your work and that Mm -hmm. the process leads the product. I love that you said all these words and image making came well before you thought of putting it into an object and a book, um, which is great uh, to be led by it. It's a real, in my mind, talk about myth. It's a Hansel and Gretel myth that I think is really helpful. And then it's also the idea of going back and, you know, it's a regeneration for yourself as you look at the work and learn new things. And yeah, I think that that's really, really interesting. So did the textual storytelling, the myth making lead you to 
the the new ways of self portraiture or or did you i guess it's like basically did you write and image make or did you image make and write or what was that correlation mm-hmm. in this project the six stories that are in the book are all in response to particular images. Um, And I'd say also, I guess, the forward and the afterward are also kind of in writing in response to the project once the photo aspect of it was more complete. There are other projects that I've been working on where there is imagery or visual art that's not always inherently photos um, that is in response to writing. So I have also a project Beyond Pink and Blue, which was part of an artist residency last spring that uh, I've been working on some installation pieces as well as some photography aspects in relation to that. So it differs, I think, per project. And this uh, transcendence was written in response to the photos. So that's great. And thank you for your clarity. It's, it's uh, rare. You have a very, um, uh, an ability to observe your own process and articulate it that I admire. Um, that is a real skill and, um, uh, helps me to see how you see. So I am holding the book right now, and you're talking about the specific response to images. So it'd be fun, not that you have to do this, but to know which were your your foundational images versus the ones that led you through the story. But I'm I'm going to make an assumption and you can clarify. Did you put yourself in more natural settings that had different elements as a way to unfold the story or what, what, how did you choose that next level of image making? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Each each story is in relation to one particular image. And then it was in sequencing the book that sometimes further connections than I initially planned um, emerged. So one example of that, and I'm um, just trying to flip to that. Now, um, the, let's see, there's an image um, maybe about halfway through the book and there aren't, there aren't page numbers, but it's right after the story Wanderer that's titled Wanderer. Mm-hmm. And um, and so this story was written in response to the uh, this image, which is um which is titled Sacral Spring. And this. Yes, that okay. one. Oh, I could have. Yep, I'm holding the book right now too, so I could have held that up as well. But um, well, what I'm thinking is also I will use that in our our sharing around the podcast because we mm-hmm. talk about it. Okay, if okay, sounds Thank good, you. perfect. Yeah, yep. So um, spring. Yeah, so that that story, Wanderer, was written in response to that particular image, and then in the sequencing of the book, I found. Um, that this image, the next one, which is titled Lull, and includes um, me laying 
in the middle of a bed of um, rose hips in this is in the dunes in Provincetown. Um, I found that that actually ended up being connected to the very ending of the story Wanderer and just some of these various ways that some of these intertwined elements emerged. I think very much about um, this project is a collaboration between myself and nature and spirit. And so there are oftentimes some of these things that arise that were not in my conscious plan and yet tie together so well. And um, there have been people who have been surprised to hear, you know, that acknowledgement of collaboration between between nature and with spirit and these entities that that some people are are not so aware of the possibilities of collaboration with. And um and yet it's important for me to acknowledge that because so much of it does come from that being willing to be open to something beyond just myself. Um, and the ways that all of these twine together in the creation of the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's really interesting. Your conversation was so complex, but also quite focused, which uh, I mean, I can feel and see. And I, I have to say that the writing was... It was so well, I don't know how to put it. It's, it's as if you gave just enough. And on some level, I would say it was almost gentle. But on the other side, I would say it was very much, mm, the word I'm thinking is conviction, but it isn't with any force. It's kind of just a, um it's not even an invitation it's it's a it's an isness to it that i thought was very um easy to be with and and it it had this flow so so again i'm always interested cuz i'm going to look at something, I'm going to have my own experience of your book and your work, and then I'm going to come in and out of it like a, a photographer with changing their lenses, right? I'm going to look at it with all these different ways. And so when I think just of the writing, I was, there was a purposefulness, but there was nothing forced about it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, some of the pieces that resonate for me and what you're saying there are around being raised Quaker. And in Quakerism, there's an invitation for each person to find their spiritual path and the words that resonate for them in, in that place and not push those words on other people, but recognize that like, you know, I may use particular words of spirit or divine, and those might be the ones that resonate most for me. But if another person 
their experience of similar elements of spirituality, if they find the words Buddha or Allah or Jesus to be most tied to that, then that's their experience and and kind of an invitation to towards translation. Um, and so just recognizing we can each speak our truth or the the spiritual experiences that have been a part of our life, and that is not um, then being dogmatically pushed upon anyone else. And so I think in this, um, it's certainly, I was, you know, in the middle of the project thinking about how much did I want the spirituality of it to come through and recognize that some people, it's perfectly fine if people read it with no spirituality at all. And for some people, it will deeply resonate in those places, especially because so many gender diverse folks have been pushed out of organized religion um, by people being very um, dogmatic about particular ideas that don't include trans folks. And, um, And yet, so many communities around the world included gender diversity in spiritual ways and with spiritual roles and all of this that um, is part of of the trans story and experience. And let me say that the multitudes of trans story and experience, there's never just one, but, um, and so it, it became more and more important for that to be included in the book in a way that was not pushing that upon anyone, but in an in invitation. Um, and I think that that's, that's perhaps the word that, um, that kind of speaks to what you're talking about there, is that kind of invitation into these deeper places that invites folks further along on the journey. Wow, that's making me think of so many, many things. Um, I was, I was, I was raised Catholic and, and remember before I stopped being an active participant in that, um, that if I, uh, was another religion that I, that spoke to me, it would be Quakerism. Um, ironically, my high school, uh, uh, you know, their tag were Quakers, which was pretty funny. Um, and also, um, in my husband's family, there are Quakers. So I had a lot of experience, um, in Quaker meeting and really appreciating tenants, uh, and, and ways of being, um, and even his relatives, because a lot of them were, uh, brought up in Quaker schools that would still refer to each other as thou, uh, and thee. And I love when you think about that, uh, what you described is actually embedded in that language. That's a real calling of um, what you would say in uh, uh, the term namaste, right? It's this, it's this uh, acknowledgement of there being a, a spirit connection, an honoring connection, and, you know, and allowing difference but knowing there's commonality or there's a, a connectivity. So that's interesting. I um, walk and listen to podcasts and in anticipation of, of, of speaking with you, I recalled one I had listened to a while ago and I pulled it up and listened again. Are you familiar with the poet Ocean Vong? Mm-mm. Wow. So um it's worth a listen and we'll put in links, uh, to their books and poets, uh, poetry. I'm actually getting to hear them in 
they're coming to Cambridge with a reading. I'm excited about that. Um, what I loved was the discussion around language and the fluidity with language, but also the um, well. Ocean is particularly adept at pulling out how language shapes, um, and and really in in this particular uh, podcast and discussion, it's about almost the violence with which we use language, even even in in positive ways. Like, wow, you slay, you slayed that. You know, there's ways in which you're killing it. Um, there's all these ways in which language is 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 used both as a weapon uh, and um, how what I kept feeling in being inside uh, your work is really leaning into the fluidity of language. And I want to understand, um, you brought in neo-pronouns. Um, so just can you talk a little bit about that? Because you're talking two different languages simultaneously in image and text. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was, again, relating to storytelling that it felt very important to interweave these pieces. And with um, recognizing that I was inviting people beyond binaries in a way that people may or may not have experienced before. I was thinking about how the work could meet people where they are on a wide range of where they could be. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of talks and workshops, um, some related to to this work, but as well uh, as gender and queerness and a variety of things, helping folks expand understandings of these various things. And I always try to do it in a way that anyone can learn something, whether they've been, you know, looking at gender extensively for the past 15 years, or perhaps this is the first time that they've heard of the concept of being non-binary. In that, I tried to interweave some of these pieces into the text in various ways, and, and that's where some of the nuances of spirituality and mythology came in to help expand some of the, the places that... Um, expand some of the frameworks through which we look at gender. In this way, um, thinking about like like inviting folks into a place of looking at gender as this natural aspect of the natural world that is itself something always fluid and changing, it embeds it in a framework that people already have a bit of an understanding for. And I, I think framework isn't quite the right word, perhaps worldview, or I, I'm not exactly sure there, but um, but the first sentence begins with, I am neither fire nor ice, day nor night, male nor female, yet something between and beyond these supposed binaries. And then it, it goes in, into other um, metaphors that are, are rooted in things that people already have a bit of a grasp for, such that it can help expand 
worldview rather than create something completely new such that it might be hard for somebody to um, to understand or grasp. All of the text, um, I was very, I was thinking about accessibility. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of the accessibility, but also I put it through a uh, reading analyzer that would tell me what grade level the text was at. Mm. All of the stories are at a, an eighth grade level or below. The average American adult reads at a reads comfortably at an eighth grade reading level. And then the forward and the afterward are uh, were a bit higher than that. I think they were ninth or tenth grade level, but that's part partially because there were words like restoration in there, which the thing I had never heard of, but which I then go on to um, explain. So I was thinking about that accessibility. Um, and you also mentioned the neo pronouns. Um, so for for folks who might know not know what that word means, neo being something new and pronouns being the you know the the words that we use in place of a noun to describe it you know often in this case a person i initially many of the stories have no pronouns and i was really thinking about to what level i might use either they them which more people are more uh, you know have had more exposure to or something that fewer people may have had exposure to so um, i ended up using the pronoun z zir zem uh, as a way and and having a footnote at the bottom of the first story part of that was inviting again in, again inviting people into this expansiveness and giving an example of how these pronouns are used in in a story and um and trying to weave them in in a way that would stretch people gently uh, if they had not previously heard of these pronouns and yet give practice one of the things that's really powerful for me about storytelling is the way that it has the potential to really deeply impact our worldview in the ways that just learning facts and figures doesn't always have the same impact. And storytelling has certainly been a very important um, method of communication throughout time in so many oral histories and oral storytelling traditions. That was, you know, the the large bulk of humanity uh, for most of our existence did not have the capability to write anything down uh, capability isn't the right word, but didn't have, you know, those tools. Um, and so, so storytelling is something that's really powerfully embedded in humankind and using storytelling, um, can have, can have the power to have some of those strong impacts on, on worldview. And so trying to just kind of play into that, um, in the invitation of expanding expanding ideas and um, growing in new places. Wow, it's so I I love everything that you just spoke about in terms of your um, very gracious awareness of accessibility, and then actually steering your ship towards it so that you got the largest audience in terms of planting seeds. Um, you really are a bridge. That's what you're doing over and over again. Um, it's interesting because Ocean Vong in this podcast I listened to it again today was speaking that our oral tradition is 
the majority of our history and actually our literary tradition is, you know, a baby in comparison. So it's really interesting to um, hear you be so aware of that. And, and I underscore the impact that storytelling can have on our worldview. And I think that that's what fuels my my passion and excitement and optimism about imagery, because I think it it can do and does do the same thing. And when you're talking about pronouns, it it dawned on me. I had a recent conversation um, with my friend who is uh, a black woman, but very light skinned. And we were literally talking about her experience of what box to check and, and what happened. And then what happens with her children who she married someone from Europe. And so we had this long discussion about the steps it takes for language to change. And that now if you go to do a form, you, you will have gender options where there were none before. And in my own life, I can relate that to, um, the idea of the, um, the use of denoting marital status was how women were differentiated, you know, between miss and missus until there was Ms. Um, so this whole idea of how we, we move ourselves forward uh, by creating more inclusive language um, and expanding spaces. You know, it, it lessens othering. Um, it doesn't take care of everything, but it's a beginning. It's a step, right? Um, what I really um, loved is I wrote down a few things. I, I like very much that you framed the book in these in these stories, like From Earth's Cradle or Spirit of Fullness and River Child, um, you know, they felt like carabiners. If you were rock climbing, they just hold on to something. And I was so taken. You had, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to quote you specifically, but in Spirit of Wholeness, you wrote, Spirit of Wholeness gave birth to children of ambiguity. And I loved the use of that language. And in my mind, and I think part of what you're talking about is this um, not beings of order, but beings of transformation. This, again, invitation to be open to possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And again, and that ambiguity in, in particular, you know, a lot of people hear it with a baggage of ambiguous being a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, and so in this story, this uplifting of these children of ambiguity and, and it being kind of this very archetypal story of um of you know of transness being suppressed and then emerging again, um it it lifts up the ways that different people bring to community different skill sets and powers and gifts such that we as a community are more whole. If we just have the the um, children of ambiguity, you know, there's there's some pieces lost. If we just have the beings of order, some pieces are lost. And so it's when we are able to come together and be in those holistic places 
um, that we become even more powerful. There's a lot of things, especially in legislation right now and in schools and things like that, that mm -hmm. are trying to erase transness. And beyond the direct impact in physical and mental health and, you know, and, and even in, um, you know, the death count that these bills will have, it, I, I just, um, the loss that we will have in, in suppressing the, the spiritual and other kinds of gifts that people of a wide range of experiences have, um, is really going to, to hurt the whole of each of these communities and not just not just the people who are being directly impacted and certainly that is very important like the, that direct impact is very important but it's um you know i know that sometimes people don't see the 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 impacts of when we try to force one way of looking at things um how that really puts you know a shackle on on everyone and one of the things that i talk about in the when i lead workshops is the work that i do is not just for trans folks certainly trans folks are a big part of that and um and and for me it's one of the most joyful pieces is to uplift and empower and support trans folks and we are all impacted by the gender binary Every single person, regardless of their gender, has been forced into a box that they don't fit in at some point in their life. And that is regardless of if someone is trans or cisgender or non-binary or all of these kinds of things, even the word non-binary, you know, centers the binary in its description. And so this, um, when we focus on uplifting and celebrating people's true selves that is when we we all become more powerful and rise and become more holistic and healthy as communities when we have more of that um you know variety of of people being able to live their full selves and and thus just more our spiritual gifts, more various things are thriving such that we can all be better in community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being um, able to celebrate all the unique gifts and that people bring. Um, what I was thinking, uh, because that's a, that's a, a really It's this idea that um, the constriction comes with such force, I feel, as we're actually in a growth spurt. It's like, I hate to put it that way, but it's like the darkest before the dawn. It's like there we are in this danger in this moment because of this push towards expansion. Um, so it's a, it's a challenging, challenging space. Um, I just wanted to ask a little bit more about your image making and, and kind of your inspiration, because it sounds to me like you got into 
this relationship both with yourself and nature, kind of listening to spirit with the, that went between all the entities um, that made you make these images. So tell me um, what was the font that you were coming from to create the, the new images? As I would go to the edge of the dunes or the forest and begin walking amongst the trees and the sand and the waves, I would be listening to this, this sense of inner compass and um, the willingness to, to follow the, the nudges. Sometimes that would lead me in circles, um, sometimes, you know, right past things that I might have if I had been fully just um, just relying on, you know, my eyes uh, that I might have stopped at the first thing and not ever found the thing, you know, 100 feet later down the, well, not path, because I wasn't always following paths, but, um, but it was that willingness to listen to something beyond myself. And I was talking about that a little bit earlier that, um, that, that led to finding some of the places, you know, I've many people have said in seeing this work, you know, how did you find so many interesting places? And, and a part of that was that willingness to follow as well as the willingness to, um, the willingness to fail, like the way, you know, there is, there's one image, um, it's titled settled and it's I don't, I don't know, maybe about five or, 10 images into, I mean, I don't know, it's this one. I'm lying on a big rock. Um, yeah. It's a large mossy rock and, and I'm laying kind of splayed out on top of it. That was three hours into uh, a trek with, you know, my gear all on my back. And I had, I said, all right, you know what? I think I'm just not gonna find a place today. And I turned back and a few minutes later, this rock that I had passed on the way up the stream um, and I, you know, I, I saw it in a different perspective and that was it. Um, and I had seen the rock earlier. I thought, huh, you know, my brain had thought, huh, that would be maybe an interesting place to create an image, but I'm just not quite feeling it yet. And on the way back, I saw this completely different perspective of it. And that's when it immediately clicked. And so that willingness to, um, to trust the the slight nudges um and the willingness to fail to say all right i've been on this track for three hours i've carried my you know my gear up the stream and i've had to climb over this and climb under that and you know all of that and maybe i'm just not going to get an image today and that's okay um and so that was a part of that you know that willingness um as well as to you know sometimes be in a space where there wasn't some big dramatic rock um like spirit this is just a field like what do you want me to do and then but still that trust um and and the willingness to be playful in the space as well so to go into that field and to try things that um you know it's not all i wouldn't say in terms of like this trust and following spirit that it is that i don't have a hand in it like it's it's very much a collaboration but then you know going into that field and being willing to try the odd and unusual things and recognize okay i'm being playful here something may also arise later down the road i might see one of these images that i thought was a failure in the first place and it might really click in some new way or transform ways that i make images in the future um and so it was that 
that being in that kind of process-based place was something that was um, helpful even as it was challenging and often humbling and it um but helped the growth as an artist and which i'm trying to kind of get back into that place now now that the book is um you know in its final polished form and letting myself do some more of these very exploratory photo shoots again and find the new directions for for where i might be going next yeah that's a it's always um a really interesting transitional space when a project feels it's been birthed, so to speak, and then this what next. Um, what's really interesting is the image that you just mentioned on the rock, the moss-covered rock, is um, you're really fortunate with where the light was when you finally found that for, you know, after that long trek, and then the idea that it's in the spirit of wholeness section, I find really interesting because of the the rock being cracked in more than one way, actually. And and you're you're a bridge there too, in terms of your body is is almost in one type of a crack and 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 connecting the other, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And what are you shooting with? Um, I, most of this book was created, or most of the photos in this book were, were created with a Sony a7R2. Um, a couple of the early ones were on a, an Olympus, um, and I'm now on a Sony, uh, a7R3. Um, but this was primarily with a, um, a7R2. Mm-hmm. Did you have to do a lot of experimentation to figure out how to work in self-portraiture? I have, uh, since my, uh, besides my very first camera, which was a Canon, I have been entirely in mirrorless cameras. Um, Part of that is also my background as a musician. And so I wanted cameras that could be completely silent. So, you know, to take photos in the middle of a concert and it not be click, click, click in the middle of the flute solo for example. Um, And so with that came the ability to have my phone connect to the camera via an app and to be able to see while I'm, you know, perched up on this rock um, to see what the image looks like. And okay, do I need to, you know, move my head like three inches to the left? That would not have, none of that would have I mean, it would have been a lot more challenging to create many of these images if I'd been running back and forth to the camera each time. Many of the images I am in precarious or unusual situations that are hard to get into. Um, And so definitely these newer forms of technology assisted that, um, as well as kind of assisting the spiritual centeredness of the experience of getting to be, be in that place and and just you know move slightly and respond kind of both to the feeling of where I was as well as the visual of what the um, what it looked like without the you know maybe slight franticness of if I had to run back and forth each time and was losing light in the twilight times or you know various things like that. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any particular inspirations as an other? forms what you just mentioned music but i wondered other uh other uh either genres or periods i mean i moved into surrealism and thinking about it and looking at your work so i'm not sure if you 
played in any of those playgrounds yourself? Like, were you looking outside of yourself for context or inspiration? To some extent, um, I would say that the what was most inspiring was some of these mythologies and things of um, you know of various cultures that were connecting transness to spirituality, and and I have to say, kind of in paired with that was being very careful about cultural appropriation and not um, responding directly to any of those stories that I was that I was listening to. But those were some of the places where um, where you know I've I've just always been a storytelling person. I I, I love mythology and mm, it, I'll say fairy tales with a grain of salt, not the fairy tales where, you know, princess gets whisked off by a knight in shining armor. Like those, like those never fit, but some of these things that evoke a uh, mysticism and a fantasy that it allows metaphor to speak to our daily lives um, in ways that, that tales that are very grounded in reality don't always allow. Um, and that's something that for me is powerful about about myth is the ways that they can sometimes speak even more deeply to our daily reality um, than than other kinds of stories can. Um, and so I'd say that some of the storytelling traditions were um, inspiring me to these places where there is a sense of um, mysticism and there's another word that I'm that I'm is just has fallen out of my brain, um, but it's you know along uh, along those lines. Um, and I think once I started once I started writing about the work um, in kind of preparation for an afterward, there was a bit of reflection on on Renaissance uh, painting or you know like various um, bodies out in nature, but. It, specifically through the lens of restoration and reframing that as not male gaze upon naked woman subject, but genderqueer self-portraiture and the empowerment of that and the restoration that comes through in that. Um, so, so a lot of that was all tied in and various teachers and mentors at the time were just saying, you know, again, similarly, kind of, where is some of this coming from? Like, we haven't seen things like it. And so it's, there's been some struggle in trying to find people to look up to um, doing related work. And I've now been able to find some more. And recently at the SPE, where where we met, um, that there were some wonderful people there doing things related to this storytelling and identity, not necessarily to gender, but like to other aspects of identity that were also really powerful that I found um, moving. So that's the uh, constellation to (laughs) your answer when you might've been thinking there would be some North Star, but that's that's the constellation answer. That's great. And, and I actually didn't have any anticipation because, um, I think I was somewhat led. I really appreciated. I don't, are you familiar with Lisa Rivera's work with her? Gen- to some extent. Yes. And I was just, yeah. So their work was put together in an exhibition at the, um, Dickinson art museum, the trout gallery, and they put together an absolutely kick ass 
exhibition catalog with at least five essays that I pulled from greatly. Uh, metamorphosis, metamorphosis of the body, transformation is a metaphor for gender queerness. Um, I have a resource list already created from all these places that this sent me in, in the direction of, and specifically through uh, their catalogs called Queering the Muse, um, led me to look at, um, they had some specifics. Um, Leonora um, Feeney, for one, Claude Cahoon, for another. Um, they go into Catherine Opie, uh, um, Cindy Sherman, actually. Um, there's so many more that are, um, I think of Pixie Lau, um, K8 Hardy. Um, there's just really a, a, a opening up. Um, I also have a, a one of the first anthologies on um, queer art history. Um, I'll put that in the resources. But that idea, as you said, of uncovering um, and um, you know uh, what. What is obvious is that our art historical background is, you know, male gaze, obviously, and on female nude. Like that's that's what it was, and 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 you know, it, it's just seeped and huge. And so that idea of um, challenging uh, and and being able to restore history, uh, re-narrate, um, and and bring that forward. So it just sent me in a lot of different. Um, ways of thinking about it. And I guess I wondered, are you, and it sounds to me, I, I might answer my own question. I was going to say, you know, I'm looking at surrealism. I'm looking at metamorphosis and transformation. Um, that's me looking with, but I get the sense that you're, really not taking from other or outside and really focusing the connection on you, um, like your felt experience, your, your communication with spirit. Um, so it's, it sounds very grounded in that. Yes, and there's there's definitely quite a lot of elements of that, and um, and the recognition of, you know, I think I in in kind of reflecting on the differences between um, art school and music school, uh, music school, especially as a bassoonist, <laughs> tried to sh shove us in a tiny little box of you will play this music from dead white men from four countries, and that's it, and uh, and I quite pushed the boundaries of that box, especially once I got in, uh, I, I began just as a music major and I added a photography a bit later on. Um, I mean, I, I'd wanted to do that from the beginning, but, um, but you know, I won't go into that story, but anyway, added photography. And when I got into the art school, you know, there was that sense of if you're in the box, you're doing something wrong. Um, and, um, and so that also empowered the further pushing the box in the music school, but it also invited into creating these places, uh, uh sorry, creating these pieces of work that I had not seen other places. And, um, and I'll, I've now begun to, you know, find, find people that really resonate. Like I recently got to see at Photographiska, there was 
uh, show like complete like filled the whole building of David LaChapelle's work and that was you know the first person that I really felt like I could um look up to for this conglomeration of queerness mythology spirituality you know um exploration the spiritual gift like all of the metaphor all all of these pieces coming together um whereas other people that I've you know been able to look at you know been very inspired by very various pieces of the work but that like so holistically resonated um and and also at the at spe um uh sam al shabi's uh, work i'm not entirely how to pronounce his last name but um but you know there were various aspects of that that were really resonant in terms of ways of this um you know this exploration and you spoke also to that like ideas of transformation um and and evolution and i think that that is definitely an aspect of the work and certainly you know my my hair changes length throughout it my body shape changes to some extent um and at the same time so many of the stories in our modern cultures about trans people are of you know a distinct transition and then somehow transness is done. And I wanted to look at like my transness is not done. Like I'm my, my, my being trans is not dependent on, you know, a, a singular transition or like here I am now kind of beyond that point in my life. And yet transness is still a part of it. And so how, um, how is my, my experience of aspects of that, uh, you know, and, to these various aspects of nature or like why why is that still something that is resonant and something that i am exploring um even if what society says of this distinct transition period is you know kind of um either completely in the past or always continuous and ongoing and i found a lot of that in nature in these constant cycles of growth and change um and that's that's something that is also being explored in the poetry series that I've been doing as well as a video piece that I'm um, starting to work on as well. That's so interesting because it's, you're talking about, again, um, bridging binaries, right? You know, it's an either or it's you're done, you know, and it's like, no, or so it's really interesting. You can look at it from so many different ways. What you also made me think of, speaking of boxes, and I appreciate that the photo education was like, you know, get out of a box. Um, when I am working in concept aware, my big whole first part of framework is know your box. Because I think a lot of us assume shared boxes, which is, you know, gets us and assume gets us in a lot of trouble right? And we're not always, I love what you brought up before about the unconsciousness of some of you leaning into correlations that were coming from somewhere other than yourself, right? And so this idea that um, that is a comfortability and my work is trying to I want people to work outside the box as well, but they have to know what that box is and really looking into assumptions and preconceptions, et cetera, that, that are like, and again, a camera metaphor, a lens or a filter. Um, and just being aware because that awareness shifts everything. Um, you know, uh, 
and what you also made me think of, um, my looking outside and thinking about surrealism or other artists is because part of my work is contextualizing. It's taking you into a larger visual culture conversation and just seeing again, what I began with like that intersectionality. But I have to tell you that I was struggling at a different point trying to write about somebody. And I came up with trans, um, the word phantasmagorical. And I love that word because it's like, when you describe Dave um, Chappelle's work or or there's a lot of people I am drawn to that, and I think you've done it here, bring me a world. And that's that's very uh, compelling and exciting and attraction attracting to um, to wander in it, uh, to explore in it. So um that's one word that you made me think of. Um, I was just trying to think if there were other, I'm looking over. I think we've covered so much of what I had hoped to cover. And I'm wondering if there's anything that I haven't asked you to think about or speak about that you would like to, to make sure we do. Hmm. That's a good. Nothing like springing a- it on you. Sorry. No worries. No. Yeah. Um, I'm looking. So in the book, there are um, a variety of images that include more than one of me. And that was something that was interesting to explore as well mm-hmm. as a similar place of playful ambiguity. And when people ask, you know, is this is this multiple representations of you at the same time? Is it different aspects of kind of your inner self or as if you are multiple people or, you know, or actually completely separate people, you know, any of those options. And I say, yes, it's all of those woven together. It's also whatever each person brings to it. One of the things that I love about storytelling is the ways that we each bring our own life story and life experiences and stories that we've heard to something. And so two people hearing the same story are going to often bring somewhat different things away from it and things that tie to their lives in different ways. So again, it's this, this invitation for people to find the resonance in the book in whatever, whatever pieces connect best to them. That that is you know, woven woven throughout and um again connects to that piece that we were talking about earlier of like the level of you know people can experience it in a spiritual lens or they don't have to if that's not something that fits for them because each um you know when i think about a story i think about it like you know, like a cloud and somebody looking at it from if the cloud is floating over point A on the on the earth and, you know, somebody at point B 10 miles north sees it, they're going to see something completely different than a person at point C 10 miles south. And, you know, based on how the sun is shining on it and the angle of the cloud and all of these different pieces, and yet it's the same cloud, but it inspires these different ways of knowing. And I think in that practice of some of those places of 
ambiguity and different aspects of storytelling, um, it invites us into these places that we can more easily welcome and cherish people of a wide variety of experience. And so in learning to do that with stories, it helps us um, with that practice of that welcoming and cherishing of various people. Um, and so I think that, that storytelling gives us those opportunities for practice, just like it gives us the opportunities to practice the, you know, the, the pronouns and practice various things. Um, you know, when somebody is struggling with, with learning new pronouns, they just invite, you know, practice it in your head, tell a story about somebody with somebody's new pronouns in your head. And, you know, also that, Shakespeare is singular they. Like there's various aspects that these things have been woven through storytelling throughout a wide variety of contexts. Um and um and certainly various people leaning into some of these areas of exploration and I'll say playful ambiguity as a way of, you know, helping release it of some of the baggage that sometimes um comes along with it. But yeah. those are some of the things that are rising and if, if there are any other questions i'm happy to do that i've um I, I i gave i think 64 talks and workshops last year and so i have wide practice uh talking about some of the the work or queerness in various ways or you know some of the workshops were on other things as well that's so wonderful you've definitely practiced your articulation because you're very very clear but your playful ambiguity i find a perfect description um for what i think you're talking about yes and it's just like yes and um and it's interesting i um i don't have the quote in front of me but there is an indian master that made a a, a quote very similar to what you described with the cloud and they use a tree stump uh in the distance as a metaphor and all the things that someone sees depending on who they are and what their hope or dream is right so for the lover it's their beloved for the uh um criminal it is the police or vice versa and and this idea of it's the same stump right it's just all the ways in which we project and and engage um so it's interesting because it's about what we began talking about which is ways of seeing and leading to ways of knowing um, and, and I think this idea of in your playful ambiguity, you are welcoming ambiguity with, with this invitation. It's, it's not a demand. It's not a command. It is, uh, I think the really wonderful way to move us forward because it is with this idea that what we're up against is is i think a lot of fear-based ordering and how do you work with that and work with the um invitation uh to get more comfortable with ambiguity um, if anything, in my lifetime, uh, I feel like I have traversed a world that really pushed against ambiguity, and I'm able to be witnessing and be a part of a world that has so much more of it in it. And that's a really, really wonderful and good thing. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful 
for that. It's interesting. I do have one last quote that I'd love to share from my research. It brought me into, let's see if I can find it. Um, I appreciated um, one of Catherine Opie's quotes that came from when I was reading Queering the Muse essays. Um, I was reading one by Peter Phillips called Negotiating Subversion and Performing Gender Identity in Contemporary Photography. And Catherine, o Catherine Opie says that she feels compelled to use her photographer, photography in what she describes as, and I'll quote, a battle for people, there we go again, language, a battle for people to look into themselves for the prejudices that keep them from having an open mind. But the quote I wanted to share, uh, one of the people you made me think of, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Anna Mendieta's work. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love her work. Oh, yes. yes. I, I should have, you know, there's, as, as we've talked, there have been a few people off yes. in my head of like, you know, I like these were people that were also, you know, that and um, Susan K. Grant's uh, uh, night portrait or the, the shadow um, dream work like that. You know, so there are other things that like various pieces pulled in. So, yes, Anna Mendieta is, is incredible. Yeah, it was really funny because as I roll around thinking about things, I have um, I have a book of her work because I was able to see an exhibition of her films uh, when I was at Paris Photo uh, sometime in the past. And um, and and like I sit and think and I'm like, hmm, like, you know, what else is Kai making me think of? And then I pulled out that book. So from um, uh, either that book, no, it's actually in the queer history book that I was telling you about that I'll put in um, the, the resources. But anyway, they were talking about Mendieta's work in that book. And here's a quote um, from her that said, She's involved in, quote, a sustained, unflinching investigation of what it means to be human, the persistent dialogue with history and yearning for an unattainable wholeness that is at the heart of human culture. And I thought of that with you, and now it's really fun to hear you use wholeness as, as a guiding force for your work. Um, oh, cool. Well, I really appreciate this. And I love a couple of things. I love the size of this book. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. It also has, um, I'm a big texture person. So I love that it's actually really nice to hold in your hand. And that, of course, like you've used these symbols that are really beautiful and speak to antiquity on some level and sacredness, I'd say. Um, these were, these were some of the pieces that were kind of the final, um, you know, icing on the cake or, you know, or just like the final pieces to come together for it to be this holistic storytelling book of, and, um, you know, kind of the symbols that you're, you're mentioning kind of pulling together both the, so that, so, uh, for listeners who maybe aren't seeing, um, the book, there are the, the front of the book is, is dark gray with, um, some things that look like gold leaf, uh, and an opening that opens to the, the first image. Um, and so it kind of speaks to some of these aspects of, of both storytelling books as well as spiritual books. 
and at the same time, the symbols um, that that uh, I designed with the assistance of my sister, who is better at uh, <laughs> Adobe Illustrator than I am, um, but kind of connected both to that that sense of gold leaf as well as the symbols kind of connecting to the sun in a way, which then the story, the image that is shown through the hole on the cover is in this uh, kind of mythic story of both the birth of the sun as well as the emergence of some of the, you know, divisions of, of gender and things like that. It, and, uh, you know, I'll invite folks to read the story if you want to hear more about that. But just kind of, so those connections of the sun to that image um, and to the antiquity of, of you know, the, the connection of various aspects of the cover. So anyway, so those, and, and the size of the book was originally going to be a bit bigger and then recognizing like this feeling of being able to hold it in one's hand in this way and it being kind of this very um, intimate experience that is, is again kind of connected to some of those very sacred books was all a piece of the final, the finalization of the design coming together as a holistic element. Yeah, and the layering of concept development. I mean, you're you're here like first of all, this is a window, uh, mm -hmm. but it's also a shape that's taken from ancient architecture of sacred temples, right? So it's this layering. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. And you are tell us uh, as we close how you're trying to get this book into very specific spaces. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. So one of the things that was important to me, again, connected to this accessibility that I was mentioning earlier, is um, recognizing that uh, you know access to access to resources is something that is um, at varying levels for various people in the queer community. And so one of my efforts from very early on was, you know, in, even part of what inspired this project in the first place was thinking about access. And a book is something that people can hold in their hands. It can exist long after an exhibition ends. Um, and so I apply it. And, you know, this is connected to, I applied to several grants and invited folks via um, a crowdfunding campaign for the book to donate towards getting books to LGBTQ libraries. And so I received funding to get 300 copies of the book to LGBTQ libraries around the country. Um, I've been, the last week has been sending a lot of emails, kind of making some of the connections and getting it spaces where it can be a part of the growth and healing for for queer folks and so other some folks have asked about well, what about public libraries or things like that and i think I, I would love for it to be in those spaces too. And for me, part of the, you know, the first impetus was getting into these places where it can be a part of the growth and healing for queer people and um, being the resource that I wish I had had when I was kind of first exploring some of these kinds of things. And so um, wanting to be kind of giving back to the, the community in that way and, and not just, you know, my own direct community, but knowing just how much harm is happening around the US right now towards trans folks wanting to get it to various places. And, it, you know, it was just, it was interesting to me that, that the people most responsive, most immediately responsive to the book were gr groups in Texas, <laughs> you know, the, some of the places where it's some of the 
some of the harm is most directly felt right now and and some of that desire for these ways of connecting to gender diversity that are so different from what the media is is portraying at this time and just in a in a growthful place in an uplifting place and that's what i want to be providing to the to the queer community and uh inviting inviting folks beyond the queer community to to consider as a part of the growth as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um i hope you have um the Alice Austin House in Staten Island on your list. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, I can't thank you enough. This has been such a delight. And I know I'm passing on my book. So um, I will be doing that. And um, I'll be very curious and look forward to what is going to come next. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for, for, you know, inviting me to be in this space with you and um, bringing such you know, wonderful questions and, and insights. You're welcome. And I have to ask, so in terms of music, and that is hilarious, I loved how you said, for, you know, for four countries and just these white men that we are forced to play. But um, what other mediums do you like one of the things that happens when I do my resource list is I love to bring in other people. Um, it could be their playlist. It could be, you know, fiction they love or movies or like, I don't know if there's something that you would like to add to our resource list. I'm open to that too. And I mean, you could just shoot me an email I mean, we'll put this all together for next week, but, um, like normally we do a book flip and we always look for a song to go with the book flip. And, um, what was the one that came up? Um, I was thinking, and it's really fun because Talia, my assistant and I are always playing with that. Sometimes we reach out to other people and ask them. Um, it was queen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what came to me. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm open to that. And I also, um, the, uh, there's, let's see, um, Paul Winter is an artist that I really enjoy. Yeah, that he he entwines different aspects of, um, of different kinds of music together, you know, is clearly classically trained, but also entwines, you know, the, the aspects of nature. And, you know, I remember I was um, one time playing, uh, playing an album for my mom and she said, it's not the organ at St. John the Divine. And and we looked it up and it was, you know, my, my grandpa used to, um, uh, you know, work, work there for a while. And, um, and so like these different pieces of bringing in the spiritual and the nature and the classical and so that's something that's inspiring in it both for my music as well as my art and um and thinking about the ways that music can be a part of future art that i'm working on and that's part of exploring video work is thinking about how the the visuals and the writing and the um music can come together and these different mediums that i'm a part of so I have been to Paul Winter concert concerts at St. John the Divine more than once. Nice. <laughs> he brought a wolf. He brought a wolf. Oh. Wow. I mean, in St. John the Divine, if you haven't sat and listened to that organ, is spectacular. Mm-hmm. 
spectacular space. Um, and yeah, I used to listen to him when I was in graduate school. I went to Columbia and he would play there. Um, and that's such a special, special place because they even do at St. John the Divine, they do the blessing of animals and people bring everything and it's so fascinating and uh yeah it's a great space and he yeah i've i'm familiar with him but i haven't thought of him in a while i don't like i don't uh listen to him as recently that would be fun cool all right we'll work on that too sounds good yeah and i will think about if i uh you know of like books either you know books and or music that comes to mind um i remember i made a resource list a bit ago you know like a while ago for the end of um talk so i can go pull up some of that and at some point i'm actually going to put um some resources on my website but i'm uh you know there's still many things with the book being um freshly freshly out and about to be actually sent out uh that that will be um that's you know but eventually some of that, a bunch of that will be on my website. Cause just thinking about it holistically again, of like, you know, just inviting people deeper into the conversation and, um, and what different kinds of resources might be helpful to people who see the work and then want to explore further themselves. Um, and, and so being a part of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of resource list is going to be invaluable. It's going to be another bridge, right? Um, two things I was thinking of one is, um, letting me know who and where at Harvard you'd like me to pass on. Um, but I'll have to get another copy because hopefully if things work for out the way, I hope they do. I'm, um, I'm looking, uh, to move my, my studio space, which went into a transition during COVID, um, which I knew was transitional. And I just got word that that's like now, uh, going to be needed for who I'm subletting from is going to need the space I'm subletting. So I'm looking at a space and if all goes well, and I'm going to now start hoping against all things that this moves, a very intentional art community center that was years in the making and brought together all these different auspices that don't normally get their act together like that has space. And that I could potentially move into a place and share space with a teen, uh, basically our, our high school's extension program. And, and our high school in Cambridge is exceedingly interesting. I mean, you have so much going on. I really appreciate this raising our kids here is there was never enough of anything to actually form the usual kind of cliques. <laughs> so it was just a mass of, um, you know, you literally had people that were homeless next to millionaires. You had 19 languages spoken in my son's class in terms of native and at-home languages. Our forms were in, I think it was nine languages by the time my kids were out of high school. And so it's a real interesting space. Not that they're getting it all right, um, but there is at least a great opportunity um, so anyway, if I can get in the space that I'm hoping to, I will be leading workshops like this, like, let's pull out all this and talk about this. So um, mm -hmm. I will become my own resource space to be sharing it uh, and do restoration as you, as you put it, which is really a great way of saying what is actually what I do too, 
right? I'm really trying to pull out the stories to challenge the less expansive ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, and if that's if that seems like a uh, you know a space that is is uh, you know um, inviting and supportive of queer folks and having you know and and that that it would be that the it would be um, you know easily available to to queer folks then then that you know then that's that's that would be fine too if um that that if you wanted to um you know post the book there and i can send another one to harvard or something like that you know whatever feels well i can i can pass this on now because my space has to get worked through that's one of the issues is that working with the public school system can be infuriating and long so let's get it to harvard if it can get you know seen this summer in a way that you know i might not be in my space till January and I'll just have to, you know, yeah, get another, but it's really beautiful. You made me think yeah. oh. okay. one signifier that I noticed. And I remember when I met you and it m- must've been through Eric, my husband or Andrea, because we were talking outside DSI was that you were getting married and it looks like you may have. Uh, well, kind of, this is, I mean, this, the, the ring is kind of both, uh, we, we have some, um, some, uh, you know, anyway, it's kind of an engagement ring, kind of a, a wedding ring. Um, but we're, um, my, my partner found some beautiful rings with, you know, that are handmade by a local person with copper wire and, um, stones in them that are a little bit bigger than, than wanting to wear on an everyday basis. So, so we said, you know, let's just get our wedding rings and we can alternate between the two. And, you know, and even once we're married, we're not tied to like feeling like we have to wear the rings all the time. We're also, we're polyamorous. So like there's, you know, there's interesting conversations about like, what does, um, how does some of that kind of, interweave and that's been some of my most recent places of restoration in my own head of like rewriting some of the things of being indoctrinated in a monogamous based culture um and so anyway so there's like all these pieces that are like that you know most people don't think nearly so much about a ring and um and then we've you know had various conversations about so it's really something quite interesting Totally. I mean, again, because it's signifiers, right? It's fascinating. But the other thing is, um, Leonora um, Fini was polyamorous as well. And, and okay. yeah, and spoke through all that. One of the things that I found interesting, because um, I had gone to, um, Lisa Rivera had curated a show at the Museum of Sex on her, and it was wonderful. And, mm-hmm. and I haven't been lately like in the last year to the museum of sex but if you're in new york it has done unbelievable and yeah. their curation's fabulous i don't know if you've ever been there it's so good yeah i last winter was in a monastery in honduras for a while and then as i was coming back to ithaca i was going through new york and i just had like a couple hours before the bus was gonna leave so not really a chance to go much of anywhere but then the museum of sex was like a block away from the bus stop so my first place out of a you know monastery centered on celibacy and all this was and you can go into vr in the museum of sex if you wanted yeah. to yeah yeah so that was quite the experience and um my, my favorite, first oh i totally get that my favorite is that i sent my son and his then girlfriend there and both of them were like 
they were like, okay, this is so odd that my mother <laughs> sent yeah. us here. And I'm like, yeah, like, whoa, yeah. go to the second yeah. floor. You're going to like have your head blown away by all of this really interesting history of, of, of reproduction, et cetera. And then, you know, I've really loved so many of their exhibitions, so many. And they did another one on trans. Um, my friend, um, Oh my gosh. I can never, Andrew's last name is, is like a Polish last name that I have to see to say. Anyway, he and his partner did a beautiful show on trans. Uh, it's beautiful. It's not easy. Uh, it's also a book, um, because his partner's Peruvian and so many people have been killed and they went to the places where people were killed and photographed landscapes. Uh, and that was an amazing project. And then they also did all of this like sacred embellishment of, of, of trans people in a way that made it feel as if you were in a church or a temple, really interesting layering of spirituality with this. And I was also thinking of Caleb um, Cole's work. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He did work. Um, he's done a lot of different things, but um, in lieu of flowers, Oh my God. It is key. Has- oh, that sounds familiar. I, yeah, I'm so part of this is I'm awful at names. And so like, sometimes, sometimes I hear a name and I'm like, Nope, Nope. And then I see the picture like, Oh, I totally know that work. So that, that does sound familiar now that you say the title of the, of the work. Yeah. That's where he does cyanotypes with rose petals and uses appropriated portraits of people that have been killed. And it's just, and it's this, it is a, an, animation of the erasure um you know it's honoring end um so yeah there's such amazing work happening so i'm happy for that but thank you thank you for this time and i'm so glad i'm i'm having some fomo not going to new york because it's like i like to be in about five different places at once um and i don't want to miss anything And, and i came to a screeching awareness about this on Probably Tuesday night, I think, is when it all came to clarity. But it's like, no, girlfriend, you cannot do that and this and this and this. So anyway, um, I'm um, glad that my not going allowed me real space around our time. So thank you for that. Yeah. 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 yeah thank you. Yeah. And speaking speaking to spiritual work, just to, just a, like a quick you know, thing of my, uh, the project that I'm working on right now, just a brief, you know, a kind of short thing, but like I got, um, some, a couple small grants to do a project at several Burning Man type events this summer. Um, and so I'm creating a queer temple. Um, and so with some of my photos, some of the newer photos since the book and with other people as well, turning them into stained glass, esque pieces and then printing them on tapestries um and hanging them in a space that'll be like it's a 19 foot bell time so like huge and like filling the space with rainbow um like different colors of fabric um and then hanging these and then having from my series beyond pink and blue um having uh poems in the space both like auditorially as well as visually and various things kind of entwined together so that's been my last few days and i i just want to pull up just because it's this is really like i'm just make you share screen i'd love to say and you're gonna have to look into ocean vong i almost want to quote him because astounding 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 stuff 
Yeah. Um, and let's see. Uh, this is like spelled V U O N G. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yes. I'll take a look. And I'll also uh, put it in um in the resources. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. Um. So let's see. This is this is the sign um for the that I've been creating for the queer temple and other other art in similar you know so i took this photo this is somebody a friend who's in a pond with lilies around her and um and with you know things behind but it kind of it turns into in so it's a mixture of of photography collaborations with some ai assisted things to help with the stained glass. And then of course, a lot more editing beyond that to, um, you know, to, to just bring it to its fullest, um, fullest potential. But this, this is one of the things that I was working on. And actually let's see here, I'll just, let me I'll stop sharing for a second and then pull up just a couple of the, uh, of the other. I love that. Um, um yeah. uh, where is, are you going to be able to do the installation? So these will be at some events this summer. Let's see. I'm just looking. We could do it at these when you say go. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, So, oh, whoops. Some file can't be found. Well, that's weird. Okay. Let me here. I'll just screen share. I don't remember exactly. Where is my, I have so many um, tabs open just a moment. Oh, finder. I know that well. I think my computer yes. mountain hit me if it could. Yeah. Let's see. So is this showing up in your? Yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing an image? Yeah. Yep. So there's the, and then wow, oh, that's the same. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, a couple of these are not yet edited. So I do I do a variety of things to them to uh, even once they've come through the program. Oh, that's a partial edit, but um. Uh, this was another exploration of of some aspects of that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go that direction at this time, but um, oh, I don't know when it flips for you. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. let's see. There was some. There was. Oh, here we go. This was this was this one in wow. Stingers. Um, and yeah, so it's so and it's been interesting to kind of work with work with um, the program that does this to because I think that. I will be taking some images specifically for this and not for the original image. Like this, this image I could see using in its original form. Um, but there are other images that I would take just for this alone that then I would not necessarily use in their original form. And so that's been an interesting, you know, prospect too. But um, so these are going to be some large scale tapestries Um in the space, like four by five foot tapestries in the space, kind of almost like stained glass would be mm-hmm. you know, in a in 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 some kind of sacred space. Um, oh, there's that one again, and ah, this is the other one I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, yeah, yeah. So this is someone in a waterfall. I just I love this. Like this one is just so incredible because it doesn't matter what the original image was. Like like yes, it's. You know, I mean, it's just like you can tell that there's a form there and that this person is like morphing into something almost, which is com- a completely different experience from the original um, image itself. And and so that's where, you know, it's just like it's just such an exciting exploration of some of this. 
Absolutely. And it also allows you, I'm thinking, to go back if you want. It's almost like a kaleidoscope, right? And you're able to pull apart some things. So from the original imagery forward, it's all about expansion and it's all about moving. And like, that's cool that you have that ability to kind of like go go forward to a certain degree, come back a little, go forward even more. Like, that's very cool to play with. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because it's like I yesterday when I was working on that the the queer temple sign, um, you know, it was very much like I put it into the program and come out like okay, these are the things I want to shift. So I go back and shift it in the photo, put it through again, and then I'm finally happy with you know most of what comes out, and then I go into it and I edit that basically like it is a photo. You know, of there's some places that it create there's like some glitch thing that it does where it sometimes has tons of tiny like pixels all together at once, and I can just like clone over that or you know like yeah just take it out like and so it's very much because i had been experimenting a little bit with mid-journey where you just put in words and it comes out with an image but it just it didn't feel quite right because i don't know how much of that is related to somebody else's image like how much of that is the ai is just directly cloning from some other artist, and that's not like what i'm trying to do but this is a way that i can play with the different like you know like in here with the you know that if like you just look at it and it feels spiritual because of some of those connections with that, with the stained glass, like it has that similar immediate impact and it allows for further metaphor in a way that photography might not like there, like, like the, I don't, none of the, and I didn't mention this in the, in the podcast, but that's okay. But like the, but the, you know, none of the images are the, all of the, all of the scenes happened. Um, some of the, like where there's multiple of me, I did have to do some shifting and all of them have, you know, shifts of color and stuff like that. But, but all of the scenes, um, happened and it's, um, it's been important for me to like be existing in the world and it not just be a behind the computer kind of a, a thing of like, Oh, here, let me, you know, stick myself in this tree or whatever. Um, but, um, so this is a way that I can play with more metaphorical things without, losing that sense of it's not about integrity because like artists who specifically use photoshop and you know like that's fine too like that that can have integrity but like in terms of the like i want to play more with metaphor and this is a way to do it that doesn't like call this previous work into question of like how much is photoshopped or something like that so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i get that and i i'm also getting like um it is affording you a different toolkit to play in yes yeah it's opening the playfulness because you know part of me feels like i like what i should do next is more of this project but with other people and i feel somewhat pulled to that and i'm also an introvert and i'm recognizing as i've been trying to do you know some of that which i think is important like you know this book is um, is important and at the same time because it is all me it's entirely representations of a young, mostly able-bodied, you know, white, uh, thin-ish person, you know, so like, it, so, so that's where it feels like it is important to work with other people. And a bunch of these images are, and I'm going to keep doing that. But I think by like having this as a new medium, it gives me that inspiration for new playfulness in a way that, um, simply just doing this book, but new people, it doesn't quite, you know, give that playfulness as much. Um, and I've also been doing based on 
the the two there's two pictures in here um, where it's my yeah. hand coming yeah. in in a way um this one and uh past it um yes that one that um that that's leading to a new project as well of creating creating these like shrines and homages that went that last one feels like a shrine to my scars mm-hmm. um and so wanted to create some of these shrines and homages in various ways and it was interesting in the podcast with jess dugan that um they said that their newer work isn't about queerness but it is through the lens of queerness mm-hmm. um and so that because i feel like you know in some of those things um well and in even some of these photos people were like where's the queerness like how how can this be queer if i can't see it and i'm like it's not my fault you can't see it. <laughs> I mean, like i mean <laughs> that that was my usually my internal head um, your thought bubble yeah yeah the thought bubble the speech you know is something different but um but like thinking about that like i don't i i do want it to be explorations of queerness but not inherently ones that have to be comprehensible to non-queer people and so that's like been some some exploration and so like in this for the queer temple and getting to do these stained glass pieces like it doesn't have to be comprehensible as queerness to non-queer people because it's in the context of this is a queer temple and so it's uplifting these things in different ways that are not so didactic um and and that's kind of exploring with the um you know with some of the the shrines of hands and things like that like i don't i don't want it to feel didactic it's just it's so much more than gender it's just gender is a piece of it and um but it's so much it's so much more than gender so yeah to find that balance of a world that tries to kind of narrowly define yes i have to i have to tell i have to I want to share one thing and and then ask another. So the other person that you made me think of, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, is Ren Hang, R-E-N-H-A-N-G. Um, and um, so one of the resources I put is the queer aperture issue, and he's on the cover. And I was really excited about his work, and unfortunately, he took his life. So he um, lived to the early 30s. Um, but it was, it's a really interesting way of pushing uh, like gender constructs or norms or how you, like, like you were talking about, you know, where's the queerness? It was like, there was just this way that it was and wasn't at the same time that was so good that I think it was very accessible. Um, so yeah. anyway, Ren Hang came to mind and then a, a resource for you that, I mean, you could take or not, but it made me think of your work is, um, Susan Griffith, um, wrote a book a million years ago, um, called women and nature, the roaring inside her. And I haven't read it in years, but it's so interesting because she basically was looking at nature through a gendered lens and mm-hmm. leaning into the feminine of recreation and leaning into the masculine as controlling nature. And she used two different fonts when she was talking from different spaces. Mm -hmm. That was very, very interesting. And then Mm -hmm. this makes me think of one thing I'll, I'll ask your opinion. Um, and then I, I actually have to run because I have a two o'clock zoom, um, with Talia, but, um, that is that, 
I have often led with that my work is around gender parity, um, mm-hmm. partly because of the erasure of, of, of women's contributions. And then um, it started not to feel right because it feels as if I'm sitting here fighting for something, A, within gender constructs, and well as well as having representation in a gendered construct of art history. So it's all of a sudden like, wait, I don't, that's, that doesn't feel congruent. So I wondered if you come up against any of that or have a way that you think about that. I mean, I had so many conversations with my kids and um, Talia, who is uh, gender queer, like wrestling this out as like someone who came up with not having equal representation for the gender I was assigned as well as identify with. But now it doesn't, it, it feels in a weird space. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think it was, it was interesting to me, like, especially because I was trying to get the book to LGBTQ libraries, like there were definitely ways that I framed it, especially about gender or, or like, and especially because of all the stuff that's going on about gender right now. Um, there were definitely ways that I framed it about gender um, that like, there are definitely more pieces to it, like of, um, of care of earth and spirituality and like various things that are entwined in it. So it was definitely, uh, you know, an interesting thing to try to write about and figure out the balance of that. And it was actually in um, working with, so I have the person who was the editor, um, uh, you know, like, like, you know, helping me work with the text um, is also Quaker. She's somebody who I knew I think from when I was born somewhere in there, you know, like just a long time. And, um, and so she helped me think about, you know, saying things in these ways that speak to more than just gender. And, and so um, I was already tying things in with, with nature and with spirituality, but using the, by, but by using those metaphors for gender too, like it helped it all intertwine more in a way that I think speaks, speaks better to the work being of that multitudinous thing and being more nuanced in its exploration of gender. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's been, I guess, because I've also been just working like a lot of these talks and workshops that I do are, are inviting people into, like I did one for a, there's a Quaker like friend it's called friends couple enrichment and so it's like they were asking me to come talk to them about expanding their senses of gender diversity as they lead workshops and you know like having less gendered assumptions and various things like that like they'd already been disrupting like these ideas of you know women in the kitchen men the breadwinner whatever they'd already been disrupting that but realized that they were still stuck in still kind of binary ways and so um you know so in that um a lot of the work that i've been doing is around gender and i i'm trying to figure out how to pose it in these ways that are inclusive of the wide variety that it that it really that it really is and that, that's my own experience of it and um yeah he, i so i've moved into using equity representation mm-hmm. instead of saying yeah. your diversity yeah i hope it carries the same weight or the same 
awareness or whatever. But yeah, it's been an interesting thing to grapple with. Thank you for joining our conversation. We so appreciate when you follow, rate, and review our podcast. We love hearing your feedback. I'd like to share a recent review, a five-star rating that says, Sibylla's podcast discussions are thoughtful, organized, and inspiring. It's a wonderful opportunity that allows photographers to talk about their ideas and process. Thank you for that. I think I am most proud of the hyperlinked resources each of our episode notes has. It is a veritable masterclass in concept development. We hope you take a look and we look forward to connecting with you on our next podcast.